Hello, this is your host, Dr. Casey Bradley. Welcome to the Real P3 Podcast, brought to you by the Sunswine Group and Swine Nutrition Management. For part two on probiotics, I wanted to feature another classmate from the University of Arkansas, and that is Dr. Chris Pixley. He is currently the Senior Manager in Novozymes Animal Health and Nutrition Division. He's also been a founding member of multiple companies focusing on the development of microbial solutions for the animal agriculture industry. And today he will share some insights of the past, present, and the possibilities for the future with probiotics. So stay tuned. Well, Chris, thank you for being on the Real P3. It's a pleasure. Would you mind introducing yourself and giving us a little bit about your background for the audience that may not know you? Sure. Yeah. My name's uh, Chris Pixley. I'm an Arkansas boy, right? So I, I grew up in Northwest Arkansas on a poultry, dairy, and beef farm. I went to the University of Arkansas to get my engineering degree in biological engineering with uh, the main goal growing up on a farm was to go to college. That way I wouldn't have to work on the farm anymore, right? So get off the farm, go do something to make some money and uh, not have to worry about chickens or cows any, any longer. Uh, but that didn't happen, right? So I graduated uh, with my bachelor's degree in biological engineering and part of my senior design project, I was fortunate enough to work with a professor from the University of Arkansas's poultry science department, Dr. Billy Hargis, on my senior capstone project for uh, my senior design. Uh, And we were working, obviously, on poultry-related activities. I continued to work with him throughout the year, throughout my senior year, on a number of different projects. And, you know, upon graduation... Dr. Hargis offered me the option to come be a graduate student in his laboratory. And I said, yes. And, you know, that got me back into the poultry industry, (laughs) at least from a research perspective. I continued to work with uh, Dr. Hargis for a few years. And, you know, he, he, he was responsible for the University of Arkansas's poultry health lab, right? He was the director of the poultry health lab. And we did a lot of work with salmonella. We did a lot of work with different diseases. But one of the things that he was really focused on, and uh, we had a visiting professor, Dr. Memo Tejas, who was at the time the head of veterinary medicine, Department of Veterinary Medicine, poultry-related veterinary medicine at the university, at a university in Mexico City, UNAM, right? And so um, Dr. Tejas was a visiting professor, and we started working really heavily together on probiotic technologies. From there, as I was working on my master's or PhD, we came up with a number of different technologies and I had the opportunity to work with these guys and actually found a company, right? And so I kind of stepped out of the traditional graduate student role uh, while working on my PhD. I was also working on a startup company with these guys, right? So we were taking some of these technologies out of the University of Arkansas, licensing them out to the startup company and trying to take those from a concept to something that could actually be used by the poultry industry. And I eventually did get my PhD from the University of Arkansas in poultry science concurrently uh, while I was working to build those companies. And so that's kind of my background in short, a very quick synopsis. Well, I didn't realize you also had a cow background. So that's a, a nice connection. Yeah, I yeah I grew up on a beef farm, and my, we had a family dairy as well. So, yeah, the first time I had milk from the grocery store, I was probably 
13 or 14 years old, you know, homogenized milk is, was quite the, the difference from what I was used to growing up. So, yeah. Definitely. So kind of go through, I think it's really interesting to point out you have an, you know, an engineering degree as well, and you did a startup. So kind of walk us through kind of bringing that all together and what that, what that was like. Yeah, I think it was really great for me, right? So uh, having a background as a farm boy, you know, it was very practical, hands-on experience. Supporting that with uh, the ability to problem solve and, and the kind of the technical side of engineering brought a kind of another aspect to problem solving to to my toolbox, and then bringing that into some you know health type poultry science health type research. Uh, give you kind of gives you a, a different perspective than a lot of people, right? So, very often, you know, we would start a start a project where you know we would say this is this is the project we're trying to, or this is the question we're trying to ask and answer. This is the data we're trying to develop, and there would there would be opportunities where you could kind of, as an engineer, you could step in and say, you know, a lot of the times, biologists or physiologists are thinking this way, but if you look at it. From a little bit different perspective, as an engineer, you know, have you considered this, or maybe we could take this approach, or or this could be a potential solution. And it, I think it just brings a different point of view to brought a lot of different points of view to the conversations that we had. And I think eventually we got to working in the poultry health lab. We got to a place where, you know, we had people from a number of different backgrounds. We had veterinarians, we had physiologists, we had animal scientists, um, and we had, you know engineers, myself and others. And I think it got it got us to a really healthy place where we were able to argue back and forth and to really push forward on a number of different projects in a different way than a lot of other researchers or research labs were able to do. About the development of a probiotic, depending on who you speak to, a lot of people really see probiotics as being beneficial and others see it as kind of foo-foo dust or magic dust. Kind of explain how long it takes from you know, proof of concept or idea into the marketplace? All right. Well, I guess it just depends on what your objectives are, right? Uh, and I think if you look at the industry and you look at people's opinions, there's no opinions that aren't valid, right? So the, there are products out there that aren't based in science, that have no scientific background. And, you know, in fact, some many products are sold that don't claim that they, they claim one thing and in you know have something else entirely or no no live microbes in them at all right and so uh, historically it it's it's been an area where average customer might not get what they expect from the products they purchase right so it's little to no regular regulatory enforcement what little there is, is is very broad, right? So you can, it's kind of like the the wild west or a no man's land in a, in a lot of ways. So if the approach is to get something on the market with a specific species name that can be sold, uh, you can do that in, you know, two days. <laughs> Call up your favorite contract manufacturer or ingredient supplier and say, send me, you know, a few kilos of this, I'm going to blend it into a feed premix and we're going to call this our, our new probiotic. So that's one end of the spectrum, right? And there are there are companies out there or, or suppliers out there that do have those type of products. And 
you know, they, they might work or they might not. I mean, who's, who's to say, right? And then, you know, the other end of the spectrum are companies who go really heavy into the research and development side of things. And they, you know, they they go out into to nature and they, and they select a, a whole bunch of different strains and then they start looking at, you know, specific targets. Does, does this strain do A, B, C, D, you know, start checking all these different boxes, you know, what impact does it have on, these potential pathogens, these opportunistic pathogens, these obligate pathogens, you know, does it impact digestibility? And they're doing in vitro work, they're doing in vivo work. And if you if you follow the full product development process from, from that perspective, you know, it can be years to develop a product and, you know, millions of dollars, right? So that's why we see such a variable nature of products in the field. Some companies are willing to you know to put out that research and to develop products that way and others aren't and and i think that's reflected in the experiences that our customers have with the products as you know some some products are well designed well thought out and you know have been evaluated before they get to the market and others aren't so it can be uh it can be challenging from that perspective both for consumers and producers uh, of these type of products do you think from when you started in probiotic research, because that was kind of, I think we both started in that area arena very early on for livestock. Yeah. Do you feel that the R&D has driven us to more sort of a generalized probiotic, one size fits all to specialized products? Yeah, I mean, I think it's multifactorial, right? So customer demands kind of drive a, a lot of I guess it's table stakes. Like to get to get a seat at the table, a probiotic needs to deliver a certain few things, right? So you have to improve production. You have to, you know, it needs to be applicable, preferably in the feed. You know, we're looking for regulatory compliance, so it has to be a, a strain that's uh, FDA approved. It's on the AFCO list, right? So there's a, a lot of things that kind of funnel down uh, expectations of what's to be delivered to customers. And then, you know, with respect to to that, I think that generates a lot of products that are similar, right? You you go to the, the store, you want to buy this type of product, you expect it to look this way, you expect it to be in this type of presentation and have this set level of performance and then there's a few out there that go you know they they add like the plus one right so what our benefit you get everything that everyone else has plus one right so we can impact you know whatever this other thing is our value proposition is centered around yes we're probiotic this is what we do we do everything everybody else does plus this one other thing right and we do it better because of this reason and i think you know we see those those type of products out there and uh, we're experiencing that so explain i mean pacific bat group did something right they developed some really good products on the market kind of what is your thoughts of what into that was it the science base that made that successful was it consistency or performance or yeah i think we had a a couple things that I don't know if we did it right, but I think it, I would say I'm, I'm proud of, right? I think the, the work we did, I feel like was was good and meaningful and I'm proud of it for a couple of reasons, right? So most of the products that Pacific Vet Group developed and sold, 
were born out of technologies that were developed at the University of Arkansas with, or in partnership with the University of Arkansas, right? And so before we, we ever got to them as a company, there was a lot of work that had already been done by really great scientists who knew what they were doing. And, and a, lot of the, a lot of the in vitro analysis had been conducted. A good deal of in vivo work had, had been you know, done on these products. And um, generally, they were pretty well thought out, right? You know, we're going to use this probiotic for, in this species for this reason. And we feel like it's going to work because of this data, right? This data supports that this is going to be effective in the field. And, you know, Pacific, Pacific Vet Group would then take that product from, you know, that product package or product concept from the University of Arkansas or other researchers. We worked with other researchers too. And then, you know, we would say, all right, what, what would it take to transition this from a laboratory product, product generated in a laboratory to something that's applicable in the feed, right? And so we had our own researchers, we had our own experts where we would, we would come in and say, well, you know, if this is going to be effective in the field, you know, we need to hit these, these targets that have been shown to be critical by the university research, but we also need to be economical, right? And it, it needs to be, you know, so we need to be able to ferment it this way, or it needs to be formulated this way and packaged this way. It needs to be delivered in a, in a, in a way that the consumer can interact with it and can actually make it, you know, from the warehouse or from the feed mill into the poultry themselves. And so we did a lot of work on formulation develop, development, packaging development, delivery, customer service and education, uh, technical support in the field, all of those things to kind of interact with our customers. And I, and I feel like we, you know, we delivered products that we felt had a really high probability of delivering value. But also, I think our conversations with our customers didn't end with our products, right? If you're having a problem with something else, you know, you're getting a gut disturbance from this virus or you know, this bacteria, you know, here's what our veterinarians, and we had veterinarians on staff, we had PhD physiologists on staff, we were having a, a more a broad relationship than a supplier consumer relationship right so we would we would try to get to know our customers try to get to know their situations and we would offer them advice and sometimes that advice would be you know no this product won't help with that right and i don't think uh, that that's not typical for all companies who are providing probiotics right so everyone wants that silver bullet that one product that fixes everything but i think knowing the realities of your product what it can and can't do and what it might be able to do is important. And being able to communicate that to your customers and saying, well, here's where I think you're going to get value. Here's where you, you might get some value. So it's probably worth trying or yeah, there's no way this is going to help you. So, you know, don't try it because you're going to be disappointed. Right. And so the the sale, while important, was not the ultimate goal of, of what we were trying to do. You know, we were trying to provide tools and services to our customers that would provide value. And in turn, we felt like by doing that, you know, we would be more successful and we could have trust with our with our customers and we could have better conversations, right? So back to what your point earlier is, you know, some people have the opinions that probiotics are, you know, not a valid product, right? You know, we've we've tried this in the past and it just didn't work for us, right? And they're they're really not excited to entertain the next company that comes in and tries to sell them the same story with seemingly the same product. And so getting to a point where we can have conversations with our customers 
and the people actually using our products about why maybe their experiences weren't great in the past. You know, either they were using the wrong product or using the right product in the wrong way or, you know, using a product that there was no chance of it potentially working on the, the issue that they were having. I mean, those are the kind of things I think we did at Pacific Vet Group that, that gave us a, a, a decent you know, reputation within the field. And we had customers that would continuously come back to us um, and say, hey, uh, you helped us before with this. What do you think of this? Can we work together on this? And I think that was where a lot of our success was, right? Was a little bit more broad relationship than what you would expect from just going near a local uh, feed ingredient distributor and saying, hey, sell me a bacillus uh subtilis or you know something you know we need one of those dfns right and that that wasn't where we were trying to play Brilliant. that's what i love about the story is that and it's funny to see a lot of these larger companies now talking about the consultive sales process and going back to that yeah. and i and i just wonder and this kind of goes in if you're new to the industry you may have never heard of pacific vet group because they were purchased by Novozymes and kind of what was that transition like? Were you ever wanting to sell or was that the goals to sell or? Yeah. So, you know, there was a, a number of individuals who were involved uh, with the founding of Pacific Vet Group. It was actually born out of another startup and some uh, partners that we were using as distributors in Asia and for our products in Asia, and then some some experienced individuals that we we had great relationships with and who were animal health veterans, right? So we built that company out of a concept, right? So originally, as I said, you know, some of these technologies were kind of born out of the University of Arkansas, where Dr. Hargis, Dr. Tejas, uh, and myself founded an, another little startup, and we started trying to commercialize these products. And it didn't take us long to know, you know, that a, a farm boy engineer from, uh, you know, University of Arkansas and two university professors probably aren't the ideal people uh, to be trying to run and grow um, a major animal health or animal nutrition contributor in the U.S. Um, you know, there were there were a lot of gaps in our knowledge, right? And we were smart enough to acknowledge that we didn't know everything. And probably there were people that were much better at doing what we were trying to do overall than, than we would be. Uh, so that's when we started having conversations with others about how can we take these technologies that, you know, we, we helped develop and we put a lot of time in, we have a lot of faith in, we think they can help the industry, but in order to get from point A to point B, we've got this gap, right? That's kind of how Pacific Vet Group was born, right? So we looked at what we had we looked at where we wanted to go and we looked at the gaps we had that were preventing us from getting there. And then we tried to fill those gaps, right? Doing that, we knew that we would hit a wall at a point, right? So we're going to do another iteration. It's going to be called Pacific Vet Group USA. And we're going to grow the company from point A to point B. And at that point, we know that we're going to need to do something like this again. Either, you know, we'll, we'll hit a threshold where we're going to need neither need to bring in a lot of money to do massive investments or the alternative would be to transition and you know take our our, our small company anchor it within a larger company and let the the company that has more resources more infrastructure more reach you know take it and grow it from there so that you know transition was expected from the start and, and planned so we we knew 
we'd start we'd start the company and we would grow it to this point at which point we would either need to go you know the left fork or the right fork and one of those was was the acquisition route and that's what we did we sold to noazymes in 2015 things have been great since then Swine Nutrition Management is a consultancy service in South Africa, whereas pig nutritionists have a vision to provide customers with practical, up-to-date, and accurate nutritional information, which will add value to their farming enterprises by moving closer to unlocking the genetic potential of their animals. They develop tailored, cost-effective feeding programs for customers. Their approach is not to develop least costs, but rather best-cost feed programs by reviewing the entire cost structure of the farm. This includes a deep understanding of the production equation, which is driven by throughput, productivity, and feed efficiency. And you're not an Arkansas farm boy anymore. I'm not. No, I'm not an Arkansas farm boy anymore. I'm working uh, in uh, Novozymes Animal Health and Nutrition Division, doing business development. Now I live in North Carolina, you know, near their U.S. headquarters. So it's uh, things have changed a lot, but it's it's been great. I've had a really great time, great experience of working here. Yeah, I mean, and that's kind of where else we come back together. Of course, we went to school at you know University of Arkansas. I think crossed over, had some classes together, and then working with Novozymes, you were more on the probiotic side. I was more working with them with the DSM collaboration on the enzyme side, and just very impressive the resources that Novozyme has. And there are between R&D, you know, fermentation, and distribution arms. And kind of curious what you think about Novozyme's approach with the, the partnership with different companies, because you've been acquired and you always had that plan versus selling direct to market. And how does that change how you work and, and help poultry producers or other animal health, animal companies? Yeah, I think it's been really interesting, right? And there are pros and cons to both approaches. I think one of the things that Noah Himes has kind of elected to do and it's part of their corporate strategy has been really to partner with other companies to have the greatest impact that we can, right? And and you know, to me that makes sense, right? So we're really great at R&D. We have really fantastic production capabilities and uh we would prefer as as a a biotech company uh, that we are to kind of focus in those areas. And yes, we do touch customers directly. Uh, we do direct sales in some cases, but with respect to our animal health and nutrition business, right? You know, you said our enzymes are marketed through DSM, right? So you don't you don't go to go out and buy a a Noazymes branded uh, enzyme to put in your poultry feed, right? You go to DSM and you you purchase uh, some of the enzymes from them through the distributors so your your technical support uh, your cell support side of things which uh, dsm has been really great at are, are supported from that perspective and novozymes is kind of heavily focused on coming up with what we're really great at right it's like how do we make the next generation enzyme better than the current generation right how do we continuously evolve our products to bring the most value we can to our customers and our consumers how can we have the biggest you know how can we make the biggest splash in the industry how can we you know come up with solutions for our customers that not only make money for novozymes to pay for the next generation of products but really have an impact 
a meaningful impact for our customers, both on their finances, but also on the consumers at large who are utilizing their products and from a sustainability perspective to have an impact on the industry to make it better products for a better world, right? To make to make our lives better. And I think that's that was the goal when I was working in the university. That was the goal I had, right? We all want to help people. We all want to improve our industry. We all want to come up with the next thing that, you know, makes growing animals more efficient, you know, makes the animals healthier, happier, with better and cheaper food for our the consumers at the end of the at the end of the value chain. So while Pacific Group did have sales and technical service, I think it was a very easy transition for me, at least, to say, well, instead of calling up my sales rep or my technical support team, now we have an external partner. But but the way we interact is, is still the same. You know, we form really tight relationships and we're very aligned. And so while we're kind of outsourcing that to for lack of a better term, I think it still works functionally the same way, especially when you develop really great strategic partnerships like Novozymes does, right? Oh, yeah. It's incredible to work with Novozymes as the, you know, on the other end of Novozymes as a partner because it's very collaborative. Like you said, it's working together what's best for the, the customer, the animal in the long run, and how can we make it affordable where I, I see some development in different companies I've worked at don't have the manufacturing arm. That's not their strength. And so a lot of people, a new probiotic enzyme coming on the market, they don't realize what it takes to get that manufactured in a great idea in a Petri dish in a lab is not viable through a production system. You can't grow it in large amounts or the cost is so expensive. And so even though it has this great capability if you can't grow it and make it for a reasonable price, it doesn't matter. And I think that was kind of eye-opening with that partnership and relationship of working in that type of situation with DSM and Novozymes versus in the AB Vista system, working with our sister company. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of different ways to get to the the same result, right? And And there's no one valid, valid way. There's a lot of valid ways to do it. I think the, the way that works Best for Novozymes is, you know, we focus on forming really great partnerships with our customers and with our strategic partnerships to reach additional customers. And, you know, we really look at, you know, what do we do best? We're, uh, you know, we've, we've got thousands and thousands of patents. We've got, you know, all of this great technology, all of this great science, um, and we can we can produce it better than anyone else in the world, in a higher quality and better than anyone else in the world. So we'll focus on that, right? And we'll keep putting our investments back into that side of things, and we'll rely on our partners to to help us push these solutions out into the world and uh, you know expand our presence and make as big of an impact as we can. So I think we've covered two P's, the past and present of probiotics. So, but what about the futures? Where do you see the future of probiotics kind of going in your mind? Now, I think, you know, as um, I think not to divert us too much, but if you look like it over historically, what we've seen, what we learned uh, in the last 20 or 30 years, you know, mm-hmm. or maybe even more, you know, back in the seventies when the competitive exclusion concept was first kind of, brought out by Nermi and Rontala, the way that we looked at probiotics then versus the way that we look at them now. And the, the huge differences in the type of research that we've 
we did then, uh, very microbiological centric, right? To where now everything is metagenomic analysis. And we're looking at microbiome. We're looking at, you know, host microbiome interactions in a way that just really wasn't possible 20 or 30 years ago. I think it's only going to get better from here, right? So there's no consensus on exactly, we don't know how they work exactly, right? We know a lot of ways that we see improvements from the applications of probiotics, but we haven't at least not to my knowledge, and there may be, there are a lot of people out there that are smarter than I am. So I'm willing to admit that I don't know everything here, but you know, the way that I see it and the way that I feel about the industry is uh, that we're not to a point where we can say, you know, A plus B equals C, right? If you do this, this is going to happen. And we're, we're dealing with such complex interactions, right? Uh, poultry production, swine production, cattle production, dairy is very complex, right? There's all these biological interactions that to really get to a point where we can consistently say, you know, if you do this, this is going to happen. It's going to take us some time. And there are researchers out there that are asking great questions and coming up with great answers and, and better data every day, right? Uh, and I think as that happens, there's no doubt in my mind that probiotics are going to continue to be a solution or a tool that we use to impact our, our production capabilities and our our animals' health, you know, our own personal health. It's clear, right, that they're not going to go away. The more we learn about the microbiome and the impact it has on our lives and our animals' lives, it becomes clearer and clearer that it's key, right? I mean, even looking at antibiotic growth promoters, right? Now we're taking a new looks at how antibiotic growth promoters work, the mechanisms of actions, the impact that they have on the microbiome and the con consequently, you know, performance improvements that we see from those. I mean, it's all related, right? So everything comes back to what's going on in the gut and you know, what's happening with this microbiome and the impact it's having on health. It's hugely important for us. So I can only see a positive future for this, right? The more we learn, the better the products are going to get, the more consistent the results are going to be. And uh, the, you know, the cheaper they're going to be to produce because we're, we're refining our production technologies every, every day we're delivering more value and the products are being more and more accepted by the industry. So it's, it's great from that perspective. What is your take on the concept of prebiotic, probiotic, postbiotic, stembiotic, and kind of that language going on? How do you see that all going? Because you work, you know, traditionally in the live business, yeah. but you also work in the dead business, which to me, you know, like an enzyme is almost like a, a postbiotic or effect. But yeah. how do you see that all kind of interacting? No, I, I think, you know, it, it kind of fits right in with what I was saying, right? There's no, yeah. we don't know exactly. There's no consensus on how, what these mechanisms and modes of actions are for all of these products. There is no doubt that, you know, prebiotics, <laughs> probiotics, symbiotics, postbiotics, all of them have the ability to impact the physiology and the performance of animals. That goes without saying. Um, but the why and the how, I think as we begin to answer those questions more, I think we're going to get smarter about how we're applying each and every one of them, right? So increases in fiber in the diet, clearly you see massive shifts in the microbiome, right? You're, you're adding additional bacteria of this type. You're seeing changes in the microbiome and subsequent chain reactions that, that, that happen from that are meaningful in many cases, right? 
why they're meaningful, what to do to get those to where they're predictably meaningful. That's what I see in the future, right? So I think all of those insert preferred uh, prefix here, biotics, those those are all going to be players in the future. Is there an area that probiotics aren't currently targeting that we should be? We talked about inside the animal. Yeah, I'm sure there are, right? If I knew all of the areas that weren't and should be used, I would I probably wouldn't tell you. I'm probably you know filing for patents or whatever now. But the, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. The uh, but the, yes, I mean without a doubt, right? So we see you know just just like we were talking about before, right? Prebiotics, postbiotics. I mean all of those things are kind of they're not new, but we're seeing new products and new applications every year, right? Probiotics for your skin, probiotics for your hair, probiotics for the environment, probiotic cleaners, you know, direct fed microbials, you know, there's there's all of these things. And the reality is it kind of makes sense. Right. When you think about the world we live in. Right. And we are surrounded by bacteria, uh, by fungi all of the time. Uh, We as organisms are meant to work together commensally. And then sometimes, you know, things go wrong or we have pathogen, you know, that pathogens that come in and, and maybe the experiences aren't quite pleasant, but but they they have meaning, right? And as we understand the potential benefits and the reasons why, I think, you know, the smarter we get, the better we will be able to interact with our environmental microbiome, uh, you know, internal, external microbiomes. It's it's very interesting to me. And I think the the short answer is I'm very confident, 100% confident that there are opportunities that we're missing. What those are, I can't tell you. I mean, I, I, not that I won't tell you, I, just, I can't tell you, right? So I don't know. Right? Well, I think you've um, brought up some good points in here. I like that predictive. That's another good P for the real P3 that we can add in there. But with that, you said a lot is more we learn the better we will become. And the question is, is where can we improve? Because we have this disconnect with probiotics and they, in my mind, is that some people want to keep it really cheap. And if the poultry industry has this mindset with feed additive, is it more than a dollar a ton? I'm, I'm not going to pay for it. Yeah. But to really develop the next generation and learn more, research isn't getting cheaper. How do we balance that and where do we need to go as an industry and make buy even a producer making buying decisions with companies on do I go with a cheap probiotic or do I to appease different my vets and other people complaining or do I go with, you know, a little higher one because I know this company is going to work with me to develop the next best thing? Yeah, and I think, you know, purchasing decisions are complex, right? Different different people make their decisions different ways, sometimes voluntarily, sometimes involuntarily, right? And so for a, from a company perspective, from a person who's passionate about developing, producing, and, and getting probiotics out on the market, I think, you know, I prefer to look at it with regards to where can we bring value, measurable value to our customers, right? How can we engage them in a way that you know, we get what we want and they get what they want. And everybody agrees that the experience has been positive. And for customers, uh, it's different, right? So some customers, like you say, it's like if it costs more than a dollar a ton, I can't I couldn't put it in even if I wanted to. Right. You know, I've, I've got this much room in my budget. 
And I'm sorry, your product just doesn't fit in there. If you can get it here, maybe we can talk, right? So uh, that's, you know, I like to think about experiences as a, as a spectrum, right? There, there's a whole normal distribution of customers. At the other end of that spectrum, on the other end of that bell curve, there are customers who are like, well, you know, I really want this type of product. I'm willing to pay for it and and I have a premium product or, you know, whatever it is, right? They've got more room. They've got more purchasing room they've got a different criteria that they're evaluating against and so maybe uh, you would approach those types of customers more and and the other type less but ideally you can get a balance right where you can have a product that is both economical for you and your 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 customers and delivering consistent and measurable value and i think one of the the biggest hurdles that we have uh, as an industry when looking at you know microbial feed additives really is how, how do we measure our performance impact right in, in the in the good old days when we were using uh, antibiotic growth promoters like crazy and, and production was less refined and defined I think it was easier to measure the, the value that those type of products presented and antibiotics are fantastic right you know you you get sick you take this antibiotic you get well and there's no question with consumers that these are effective right and we don't have that luxury with uh, the probiotics uh, but if you strictly looked at the data for antibiotic growth promoters only like subtherapeutic application of antibiotics versus a microbial feed additive and i think it's shockingly similar right the value propositions are essentially the same uh, mechanisms and modes of action probably overlap to a great extent as well and i think uh, many customers realize that right so you know i'm getting bmd it looks like i'm getting measurable improvements two-thirds of the time coincidentally if you look at you know meta-analysis of probiotic applications if you took AGPs and swapped them with probiotics, the data more, you know, the names is it's almost indistinguishable, right? So some customers and consumers are beginning to realize that, right? It doesn't work all the time. It's not a silver bullet. It works in these conditions for these reasons. And we're able to measure the value because of this. I mean, that's that's really the focus that that we've taken uh, for a lot of cases as a standard, right? This is why you should use probiotics. And again, like I said, there are a few out there that have additional value propositions, right? So we pay we pay our way uh, into your feed this way. But in addition to that, you're going to get this special value that you don't get with some of the other guys. And that's that's how we differentiate in the market. And and we do that based off of not a guess but based off of a scientific evidence in a portfolio where we've specifically selected strains and developed these products to deliver those values and we have a pretty high confidence that you know under these conditions you're going to see these benefits in addition to those table stakes to just get you into the feed and again there's a spectrum of customers where they will see that value and there's some that just don't right so three points of feed conversion maybe i can measure it maybe i can't so don't bother talking to me right and other people are like well you know we've had a lot of good experiences and this is what we're trying to present in our feeds and to our customers right we want to have this type of diet prepared this way with these type of ingredients and our customers demand or appreciate that and it brings value to us right over time 
I would hope that we as an industry would get to a point where, you know, maybe we're a little more open um, to the concept of these types of products and the, and the value that they can bring to us. But the reality is there's always going to be a spectrum of customers. Some some will want, you know, some won't. And that's that's fine. And that's that's the way the business is. And that's the way it should. I think that's the way it sh- should be expected to be. Well, incredible. This was a very refreshing conversation, not so much heavily on nutrition and mode of action, but understanding the past, present and future of our industry and seeing it through your eyes definitely has been very eye opening. And I appreciate your time today, Chris. It's great. I'm happy to be here.